Well, hello, North Point. I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Don't adjust your screen because uh, I am taller than your senior pastor, and I'm also a lot younger than your founding pastor. Uh, but my name is Ronnie, and I'm part of the, the pastoral team here at North Point. And Pastor Shane asked me to be a part of this series some time back, and, and it's just an honor as we look through the snapshots of a Savior. And uh, we've discovered through this series that the Old Testament prophets, written thousands of years ago, give us such a great picture of Jesus, the coming Messiah. And this week, I've entitled my message, The Unexpected. King. Don't you just love unexpected gifts? I, I just, some of the best gifts I've ever gotten uh, were, were given to me um, when I had no clue they were coming or what they were. And so we love to get gifts and, and they're more meaningful to us when they're unexpected. And, and some of these best gifts that we've gotten um, usually are around Christmas time because this is the Christmas season and, uh, and this is the time of gift giving and, and gift receiving. And so I want to talk to you about the unexpected king, the gift that was given to the world. I want to look at Jesus that even though that, uh, that he was, he was uh, born in a manger and, and lived his life for 33 years on earth and then passed away and then rose again um, to become uh, our Messiah, people missed it. And even though the prophets had talked about it coming and gave, and gave these incredible prophecies about him coming, they missed it. And unfortunately, in 2020, as we head into this Christmas season, far too many people are still going to miss it of who Jesus is and who he wants to be in our life. I grew up in, in a small town called Oakview, and it got its name because the, the town was just had so many. It was covered in oak trees, oak trees everywhere that you'd go. And I went to a church in which there was this massive oak tree right in the middle of the parking lot. It had been there for so long, um, and, and it had grown, and it was just this huge, overwhelming tree. And literally, we, put the, the, we paved the, the parking lot around this tree, and it was there for probably hundreds of years. It had been growing there. And one day, an enormous branch literally broke off. And it came crashing down. It did some damage to a fence and to the sign. And luckily it was during a time in which that it broke that there were no services going on. So there was nobody in the parking lot. There was no people that got injured. But it, it was a scary thing. And so we immediately called an arbor, arborist out to come and, and look at this tree. Because the tree looked healthy. It looked good. It was massive. It looked in good shape. But let me ask you a question. Did the branch just suddenly fall? When we called the arborist out to check on the health of the tree, he said that it literally had been rotting for years. We just didn't know it. See, the following branch was just the end result of something that had been going on, the arborist said, for at least a decade. And yet all we saw was this beautiful oak tree in our parking lot. The branch just didn't suddenly fall. It just seemed like it did. And today I want to parallel that story as you turn in your Bibles or you can see it on your outline in the book of Micah. And Micah is coming on the scene and as he's lived his life and as, a, as God's man and as his prophet, he sees what's going on around him. And he sees what Israel has been up to. He's been watching. 
And see, from the outside, as you, as you look through the, the, the period of time, it looks like Israel is doing good. It looks like people are flourishing and there's wealth and there's power and there's conquering going on. There's all these things that, that just give the signs of the outward appearance that life is good. And yet Micah begins writing in this prophecy saying it just looks good, but God's people are in for a rude awakening. Micah comes on the scene and he thought that, 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 that he needed to share through this prophecy that even though God's people thought they were doing all right, they had actually turned away from God and they were living immoral and evil lives. And so Michael, Micah begins to tell people that you're in big trouble. But as he begins to break down God's judgment and what's coming onto God's people, he has good news for them. Actually, he has great news for them. And it's great news for you and I today because he recorded an astonishing predictive prophecy of Christmas that was coming 700 years before the first Christmas in Bethlehem. 700 years, he's talking about the Messiah coming to earth. And so I'd like to begin reading in Micah chapter 5, and we'll read some of these verses that, that talk through this prophecy. It says, mobilize in verse 1, chapter 5, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying seeds to Jerusalem, and they will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrah, the only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. And the people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until a woman is in labor gives birth. And then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And then his people will live there undisturbed for he will be highly honored around the world and he will be the source of peace. When the Assyrians invaded, invade our land and break through our defenses, we will appoint seven rulers to watch over us, eight princes to lead us, and they will rule Assyria with drawn swords and enter the gates of the land of Nimrod. And he will rescue us from the Assyrians when they pour over the borders and invade our land. Now, the, Mike is talking about the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel had been violating God's covenant for some 500 years. And Micah's saying judgment is coming and life as you know it is going to change. But he says there is hope for there is king is coming. Let me give you just a little bit of background from Micah. Micah lived about 25 miles southwest of Jerusalem in a farming town. And where Micah lived, it was outside the governmental centers of power in the nation in fact, Micah directed much of his prophecies in the seven chapters of Micah towards the powerful leaders of Samaria and Jerusalem, the capital cities of Israel and Judah. And you got to know that he had heard about and then he began to live and experience watching a parade of monarchs pass through in his lifetime. He saw the greed of these kings and rulers. He saw the evilness that was transpiring around him. And he saw that Israel was imploding from the effects of their unfaithfulness and the evil leadership. 
He had watched Judah ride this roller coaster of good king, bad king, good king, bad king for many years. And so Micah begins to lay out in his prophecy that it's going to change and God's judgment is coming. See, though externally life might look good, the kings and rulers are going to see that God is not going to stand for the evil and the greed and the selfishness and injustice that's taken place. And God's plan is to bring to the world a king whose kingdom is never going to disappear. And so if you're taking notes, you want to write this first point in. It's that he is the all-time king. He's the all-time king. Kings come and kings go. Leadership rises, leadership falls. We've seen this from the very first king, King Saul. We've seen, as you read through scripture, kingdoms rise and fall. You see it in, in your history books when you're in school and you've read about powerful kings and kingdoms and the things that went on, but there comes a time in which that ends. We even see it today. Poor leadership, greed, selfishness, injustice by people in power. But what we do know and what's fascinating is, is Micah says there is a king who's going to be the all-time king who's going to come. And Micah, you know, in, in, in his prophecy says that in one hand it's from the old, but the other hand he's coming from the future. And I, and I like how the NIV says it out of Micah 5, 2. It says, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient time. This is going to be a different king than any king that's ever been on this earth. It says he's coming forth from old, from ancient days, but yet he's going to be born in Bethlehem. How is this to be? And the answer is Jesus is the son of God for all eternity. He is God. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, many of us don't live with this understanding. Or maybe we have the head knowledge that, yeah, Jesus came and he's the King, but our lives don't reflect it. We get caught up with these other kings and kingdoms and rulers and know that, no, Jesus is the King of Kings. And he's over all that. Ephesians says it great this way. Ephesians 1.19 says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. It says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realm. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader and then just to make sure everything was covered, he says, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Mike is telling us about a king who's coming to Bethlehem, and he is the all-time king. But he's not only the all-time king, he's also the humble king. He's the humble king. Micah says that, that the all-time king is coming, and yet he's coming from a place that you would never expect. King Herod hears the Magi who are come looking for Jesus and where he's going to be born. And, and by the way, talking about evil kings, you got King Herod, is, you know, he's one who decides to kill babies. I mean, what kind of sick person is that? 
And yet he's a powerful king. And so he's rattled by this news. And so he calls the religious scholars together and he asks them, you know, where is this baby going to be born? And in Matthew chapter two, verse four, it says he called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. And he asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. Who's the prophet? The prophet's Micah. Some 700 years prior to this, he said, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. See, the place of Jesus' birth not only fulfills scripture and the prophecy from 700 years prior, but it's a place that is really obscure and a place of humble beginnings. Bethlehem means house of bread, and, and there's so many pictures that I, can, that I can point around this because it's just so amazing to me, all of the, the symbolisms and the pictures. I love this series, Snapshot of a Savior, because it literally, the, the Bible is just filled with pictures, that paint just clear as day, how we can trust the Bible is true. I love Bethlehem, meaning house of bread. Jesus is called what in John chapter six? He's called the bread of life. There's so many parallels and it was an insignificant town. I, I, I joked with the team earlier saying that I was gonna sing, oh little town of Bethlehem, but then I for sure would never be asked to come back. But when we sing this well-known Christmas carol, it really is talking about a reality that this was a small little town that was so obscure. It was an insignificant town among thousands in Judah. And then Micah says, you know, it's Bethlehem Ephrathah. And it's an ancient name in Bethlehem. And it's used to distinguish it from the towns of the same name. So talk about humble beginnings. Oh and, oh, oh, and we didn't talk about the fact that, as we know, Jesus was, came born into a very humble place in Bethlehem, but, but then was born in a feeding trough in a barn. Talk about a humble start. This is such a different picture that we get here of the all-time king from kings in which, in which that we expect and become accustomed to seeing Often when we think of kings, we think of them coming from royalty and born in a palace and with a silver spoon in their mouth and wanting for nothing and being served by others. And yet Jesus is the exact opposite as he comes to us in human form. Talk about an unexpected king. He could have been born in Rome. That would make more sense to us because Rome was the political center. It was the capital. It was literally the Washington, D.C. of America of its time. Some place that you'd expect the king to be come from, rise up from, and yet he wasn't born there. Maybe, maybe he could have been born in Athens. Athens was, was the intellectual center of its time. It's, it's where the philosophers would go and dialogue, and yet... That wasn't the place. Maybe, maybe Jerusalem. Why wasn't Jesus born in Jerusalem? It's a, it's a religious center. It's got the temple and this rich heritage. Yet Micah said that he's going to be born in a podunk little community where shepherd and sheep hang out. And that is why you and I can relate to him today. 
because he comes from humble beginnings, because he can relate to you and I. That's why we can see that he ate with sinners and that he cares for the lost and the sick and the hurting. Philippians 2, 5 and 7 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, we already established that. He comes from ancient time because he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. He did not hold on to that. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. It is in his humility that he can relate and we can connect with him. Which leads me to my third point. And that's that you make him your king today. We go through this Christmas season and we, 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 we often like to celebrate with the lights and the gifts and the Christmas story. But have you really thought about who we're celebrating? The fact that God came in human form from humble beginnings to be our all-time king so that we can have relationship with him today. But unlike other kings, and you can read about this, not only in scripture, but you can read about it in a history book. Kings demanded respect. They demanded to be followed. They demanded to be served. They demanded obedience. And yet Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to give you the choice. So how do you make him your king? How do you plunge yourself into the lordship of Jesus Christ? Well, I believe you do it in in, in a few different ways. You believe in his death and you trust in him with your life. You believe that he came and that he died and he rose again for you. That was his purpose. And so you can put your trust in him. I believe you do that by also obeying his word. You obey his word. You stop worrying. And you start expecting. And so I just want to take a few moments and I want to unpack that. I want to look at at, at some of these things that we spoke about of how you can make him your king today. And surrender your life to him. First, you believe in his death. Matthew says that a ruler will come and you will be the shepherd for my people Israel. There's so many analogies and pictures of Jesus being the shepherd of our life. And a shepherd lays down his life for a sheep to protect them. Protect them from what? Protect them from thieves. Protect them from wild animals. Protect them sometimes even from themselves. Again, remember, sheep aren't that smart. And so we see a picture here that Jesus is a shepherd, that he's there to protect us. And that's why he came, and that's why he's going to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And as he's going there, he says, I am the good shepherd. And he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe that? How do you make him Lord? It doesn't just start by knowing that he's so powerful. Just knowing that he's so big. It starts 
by a view of sacrificial love. The sacrificial love that comes from him that disarms you and me and it makes me put down my arms and say, why wouldn't I trust somebody with my life who's given up their life for me? See, until you believe and you look and you understand his death, until you're moved to to say that, then you actually haven't begun to surrender to his lordship and make him your king. Secondly, is that you obey his word. In the end, look around. We can't get around this. Jesus might be your example. He may just be your example. He might just be your inspiration. He might just be a lot of things to you. But oftentimes what I, when I see and I talk to counsel with people and, and, and that they wrestle is like when life is going bad, they know, they know that they need Jesus. They have the head knowledge. Sometimes when they get into the crisis, it's like I, I, I cling to, I, I got to reach for something because my world's falling apart. And so, so, so I know that, that I, I need to get into his word because I need in, to be inspired I need to, to hear that hope, that the life that I'm, that I'm dealing with now, this fear, this pain, whatever that's going on inside, it's going to change. It's going to get better. So I want to be inspired. But far too many times I talk with people and that is something they walk through only when there's a crisis going on in life. But when life's good, when I got a good job, when my marriage is in a good spot, when I have some money in my pocket, when I don't have the crisis going around, well, then I pick and choose when I get into his word and what I pick from his word, what I listen to. But he's not your king unless you've made this commitment. Whatever he says in his word, you're gonna do. Whether you understand it or whether you like it. See, if you made that commitment, then you can say that you made him your king today. But you gotta be willing to do that. Here's the third, you have to stop worrying. What does worrying have to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ? It has everything to do with it. I read about about Martin Luther and, and he had a friend in which that, uh, his name was Philip, and he was always worrying, and so he kept praying for him. And the example that he gives is that as long as he's, he, that he's worrying about whatever's going on in his life, he hasn't really surrendered and put his trust and his faith in Jesus. There's a lot of us today that are worrying. We're worrying about our future, we're worrying if this pandemic's ever going to end. We're worried about loved ones. We're worried about our paychecks and whether uh, we're going to be able to pay our bills. We're worried if our, bill, if our store is going to close, if we're going to get laid off. We're worried about whether school is going to go back. There's a lot of things that keep a lot of people with a lot of anxiety and worry. And in my quiet time, I came across this psalm, Psalm 56. And to give you a little background, David at the time is fled and is in hiding from a bad king. He's fleeing King Saul because King Saul is jealous of him. And so he drives David out. He's hunting him. He's wanting to kill him. 
And so he goes into hiding and he lands and he takes refuge in a city of Gath. And if you know your Bible geography, you know that Gath is a Philistine city. And you ask, well, why is that important? It's because, remember the song that the Israelites sang? They said, they sang it about David. This is the thing that literally really did tick off Saul when he, when he, when he heard it. He said, you know, King Saul has slain thousands, but David has slain ten thousands. Well, one of those was their Philistine hero that David killed. And you probably know the story very well when he killed Goliath. So now he's in their, their homeland. He's hiding out in, enemy, in the enemy land and he gets discovered. So he's being hunted by King Saul. He has to flee his own countryside. He goes to the enemy city. Now they find out who he is, who he is and, and there's an uproar. And so he writes this Psalm, Psalm 56. And I just want to pull out one verse in verse four in your outline. It says, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and I'm not afraid. For what can a mere mortals do to me? Have you got up and prayed that Psalm? That in God, I trust. And because I'm gonna claim him, I'm not gonna be afraid. What, what can anything on this world that transpires do to me. So I need to stop worrying. But then I need to follow that up and I need to start expecting. Do you have things in your life that you've given up on? You say that's never going to change in my life. Do you have people in your life that you've given up on? Say they're never going to change. That's never going to be fixed. I mean, this Christmas story should be a great picture that gives you hope of starting to expect. You know, it was Gabriel who comes to Mary and says that you're going to be with child. I mean, what an incredible story. And, and, and we tell it every Christmas season, but, it, it, but it, just the wonder of it to think about that the angel Gabriel coming to Mary saying, you're gonna be with child. Though you're a teenage girl who's never been with a man, you're still gonna conceive. And she says, how can these things be? And Gabriel says, in my words, this is God we're talking about. And with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. So God is saying, man, as you, as you think through this Christmas season, start expecting me to move in your life. Because I'm the all-time king who, who came and took on human form and I did it to have a relationship with you. So don't insult God with low expectations of what he can do and what he can't do. That's not treating him as king. This Christmas season, my prayer is that you reflect on this prophecy that was penned some 700 years before the first Christmas. 700 years before Jesus came in Bethlehem, born in a manger. For you and for me. The once and future king of kings is Jesus 
who came as a humble king, not demanding, not dictating that you follow him, but wanting you to surrender your life over to him and to make him your king today because he, because you're choosing to surrender and to walk with him. Make him your king this Christmas season. Make him your savior this Christmas season. If you've never invited Jesus to come and be Lord of your life, right wherever you're at, you can be in the car, you can be uh, in your, on your couch in your pajamas right now, you could be uh, uh, watching this at work, but literally is just you connecting with God saying, God, I know that I've been trying to do life myself and it just isn't working. And I'm gonna surrender my life to you because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so I repent of my sin and the junk that I, and the mess that I've made in my life and I give it to you. Ask that you come in and that you fill me. And that you walk with me no matter what tomorrow holds and the day after and the day after. God, I want you to be my king. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. Make him your king today by choosing to surrender your life. And he says, just like that, it's done. Eternity is no longer in question. You're his. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for Micah, 700 years before, talked about the Savior being born, the King of kings and the Lord of lords in a small podunk town called Bethlehem. And he, God just lived a life, died on the cross, rose three days later. God, so that you and I can have relationship. So God, I pray that anyone that's walking through this Christmas season, that, that they would just, if they've never turned their life and surrendered it to you, that today would be the day. God, that they would walk with you. We thank you. God, we just love you and we praise you in your son's holy and precious name. And everybody said, amen.